Have you ever experienced a time where you were unable to embrace or accept something that you had learned about, that you become aware of, even though that thing was something you had been hoping and longing for? Have you ever been there? Say amen if you have. I have a lot of vague and specific memories in which this has been true in my life. Times when I was so hopeful that I would, I would get a certain opportunity or that some special feelings would be reciprocated or that the job would be offered or that that family member that I was disconnected from would call. But then, if it were to happen, I, I sometimes I, I just didn't know what to do with it. I, did, I didn't know how to, to receive the thing that I had hoped and longed for. Because it, it had changed my concept of reality, of, of what could be possible, and I didn't know how to celebrate it or embrace it. Sometimes, sometimes there are things that are so wonderful that they are terrifying to acknowledge and to receive. In the passage that we just read, a man named Paul was writing to a group of people in a city called Corinth, and so we call them the Corinthians. And they, I think, were in a similar situation. You see, they, they had hoped, they had hoped for something like Jesus, someone like Jesus, to be true and to, and to be real. But, but when, it, when the idea came, when, when they encountered it, when they heard the testimonies, and they saw the change in the people's hearts and lives through the Spirit of God. It was just too big for them. They had, to, they had to find ways to whittle it down. To make it a little bit less potent. Because it was wonderful and it was terrifying. And it represented the end of a certain way of thinking and operating in the world. Isn't this human nature for us to try to make sense of the things that are happening in our present and our future and, and trying to mold those experiences to fit the shape of our past? I recently heard this fascinating story about the advent of disinfectant in the Western world. Disinfectant. Didn't think that come up on Easter Sunday, did you? Maybe, like some of you are like, I gotta get clean for my once a year service in church, right? So clean enough to get in the doors. By the way, this is a once a year white shirt for me. Um, any any longer than that, and it would be not fit to wear any longer for the stain. So I'm feeling especially shiny and clean this morning. Uh, in 
the Western world, in the 1800s, the mid-1800s, some, some guys came over from France and they were talking to doctors about disinfectant. And they were explaining that there's all these tiny little germs that you can't see unless you have this thing called a microscope. And that those germs are very probably something that creates infections in human beings. And what they found was that a lot of the older, more experienced doctors just didn't believe them. And they went about treating with unwashed hands and unwashed tools until our 20th president got shot in the back and through the care of the doctors died of becoming septic because the doctors were sticking their dirty unwashed fingers into his body to try to fish out the bullet. Isn't that interesting? You know, we could, because so often there's this idea of, of science and faith pitted against one another. But more often than not, when we look at a, a bigger, more holistic picture, we find that it's just really hard for us as human beings to accept new and wonderful things when they occur. Paul is reckoning with this idea, with this very difficult idea to wrap our minds around, the idea that a man rose from the dead. It is a very difficult idea to believe, to entertain, even for a short amount of time. But he says this, he says these words here that have been ringing through my mind since I decided that this passage, which was part of the passages that have been passed down for centuries for an Easter Sunday in the church, that this was the passage that we needed to grapple and wrestle with this morning. And he says in verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in that category of the most pitied people. And so I've thought a lot about this because I'm a pastor and, and, I, and I lead people, hopefully, into a life that looks like the life of Jesus, the cruciform life of a Savior who died a tragic and pitiable death on a cross and whom many believe that they saw resurrected from the dead, and that is why I stand in this space before you today. And so this statement here, it's, it's different than a lot of the other statements that we hear in the prosperity type of gospels in the fire insurance kind of preaching of the day. Paul and these Early Christians were suffering persecution for their belief in this king that was a, a different king, in this Messiah that was a different kind of Messiah because he claimed not to be on the side of the strong but on the side of the weak. Not giving 
divine validation to those who would hold and wield power over those without power, but saying things like, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. He was not another leader to war with or to conquer. He was not a local uh, advocate of some small geographically bound deity. But he was in fact a suffering savior who was death proof that claimed to be a servant king of the entire cosmos. They were persecuted for this. Paul, more than anyone, knew what it was like to be beaten up, to be threatened with death for proclaiming this type of king. They were killed, beaten, tortured, imprisoned, and Christians, the same experience as today in different parts of the world. The ironic thing, though, is that those doing the torturing thought that they could beat the faith out of those Christians. But they worshipped a tortured and beat and crucified Messiah. So it didn't work. Here's what, here's what Paul wanted these Corinthians to know in, these, in this statement. He wanted them to know if Jesus didn't really raise from the dead, if his body didn't come up out that tomb, if it was just good feelings and good thoughts or a general sort of sense in our heart that Jesus is with us, if it was anything less than a body out of a grave, go do something else. Do something else. Live a different life. You don't have to tack Jesus onto it. If your hope is really in a political party or how much money is in your bank account or what social class you fit into, just go do something else. You don't got to do this. It's too hard. Why would you do this? It's too hard. There were, in fact, all sprinkled throughout before and after Jesus' time, those who claimed to be messianic Jewish leaders. And oftentimes they were violently killed. But here's what those followers did. The people that followed those other guys, they either got a new leader or they did something else. And that is disturbing to me. It's disturbing to me to grapple with the idea that Jesus physically rose from the dead and that there has been a religious movement sometimes centered around that called Christianity that I preach to you today. It's, it's disturbing because the hope 
attached to that for Paul and for me is terrifying. I don't know how to wrap my head or much less my heart around that idea. And he goes on in verse 20 and he says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He said, if he didn't, we're the sorriest state of people that there could be. But he did. He raised from the dead. And he's the first fruits, weird phrase for us, of those who have fallen asleep. I want us to sit with something here. For those of you, if, if you are someone who is an Easter Sunday type of person, or if you attend every week, I want you to sit with this idea for just a moment. Many religions and cults come about when somebody has some different kinds of ideas about what God is like, right? Like they have some good ideas about what it might be like for God to be God. And some people say, I really like that idea. That really speaks to me. That, that really connects with the trauma or the harm in my life. And maybe I'm going to go follow that. And maybe the leader of it's totally crazy. But here is how Christianity was born. It was born because the followers of Jesus were terrified and disheartened and they thought everything was over when Jesus was crucified on Friday. And then they saw the guy on Sunday. That is the one thing that started Christianity. It wasn't some good ideas, as good as some of the ideas and the teachings that Jesus had were. It wasn't that he died on the cross for our sins. How can somebody die on the cross for your sins when they just stay dead? They just died. That's all they did. They died. And it was tragic. And it was terrible. But the reason why for 2,000 years people have been connecting to God is because some people saw Jesus raised from the dead. Amen. I don't know, amen. I'm kind of still terrified. Just thinking about it right now. So Paul, when he saw Jesus on that dusty Damascus road, it changed everything about the way he thought about his life. It, it, it changed everything to the point where he had to look back and he had to, to reorganize the, his entire way of thinking about what human beings were, what the universe was like, who was in charge, what got you to the end that you wanted, and who mattered in the world. Have, have you ever encountered an experience like that where you've, you encountered something that was so challenging to your point of view to the way you saw the world, to the way that you would just say your platitudes about, well, that's just the way things are, that you had to rethink everything. Has that ever happened to you? It has. I know it has. Because you were a kid once. And that happens to kids like every other week. And, and it's not a big deal to them. My wife told me that our daughter, Malia, who's six years old, she told me this morning that yesterday she said, Hey, we have this 
we, we bought this fixer upper house like five, six years ago, and uh, spoiler alert, it's still being fixed up. And um, there's a hole in our wall, and we, we have a cross, because we're so holy, covering the hole. How holy is that? And Malia thought about that hole, and she said, hey mom, is that how the Easter Bunny gets in? <laughs> yes. How perfect, right? Like, a, a little theologian right there, right? Kids, they don't have a problem with this. But as we get older, and we learn all the things that can hurt us in the world, and we learn to measure our hope and our vulnerability that good things can and will happen in a very dangerous and harsh world, things change. Sometimes a president has to die before something changes. Uh, it was James Abram Garfield, for those of you who remember your list of presidents from, from grade school. I did not. Here's the thing. The resurrection of Jesus was and is the fact that the entire New Testament, that's the second half, shorter half of the Bible, um, is based around. That's why they call it the Testament, the New Testament, because it's somebody testifying. It's a few different people testifying to something they have seen. Not just somebody sharing some good ideas about what they think God is like. I want you to think about this just for, just for another minute here. Imagine if it went the other way around. Imagine if it was, hey, I've got some good ideas about God. Maybe God is about resurrecting this guy, Jesus. So here's what we're going to do, guys. After Jesus it, it dies on the cross, what we're going to do is we're going to come up with this plan to say that he actually he actually raised from the dead, okay? And and we're going to try to convince everybody that that was true, and we're going to put our families' lives on the line, and we're going to try to destroy the Jewish religion that brought us up, and that our whole family and culture is steeped in just to, to lie that this guy raised from the dead that we hadn't even considered would happen at all up until this point. Might have been a different kind of Bible. Everything changed. Everything changed in that moment. There grew a movement of people who had a hope that things would one day be all right. That good would triumph. And that the nagging feeling that they had inside that they were made for more than a temporal life of suffering. That they were bound under their own propensity to do harm and bound under the strangling grip of those with too much power. That that would one day end. The ways, the end of the old way, this, this way this old way of conceiving reality had to die. And there had to be a birth, or maybe a, a rebirth, into an entirely new way of 
understanding the world. Paul makes clear the resurrection of Jesus as the first of men. The first of men. That this resurrection of Jesus is actually like the hinge on the door into this new reality, this new hopeful world, this world of promise where you were made for more than the present suffering or that child that died too soon or that war by that Russian dictator or the people starving to death, that they were all made for more. This didn't make sense to a lot of people. After, after Jesus rose from the dead, the people that saw it were trying to figure out what it meant. They didn't have anything written down. Jesus didn't bother to write anything down. They are probably like asking, like, Jesus, you going to write any of this stuff down? And be like, nah, I'm about to do something. Yeah, I ain't going to need any words for this. It's going to take you a long time to figure this out. So I'm not going to write anything down. So after the fact, after the fact of encountering a resurrected Jesus, Paul and many others start trying to write some stuff down that we call the New Testament to try to make sense of it. Hindsight 2020. It's, it's funny how certain things start to make sense when you embrace a new hopeful reality. You can look into the suffering of the past and you can say that makes a little bit more sense. What happened there? I kind of see what's happening and how God might have been shaping something in my life. He says in verse 22, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. So Paul says these, this whole thing from the beginning all the way back, to our story of the first human being has to be rethought. There's, there's a possibility for something new here to happen in Christ. A way we can belong to life in a way never before conceived. The prophets of old, like Isaiah that Josh uh, proclaimed to us, was hinting at it, was grasping for it, was inspired to understand it, but only caught a glimpse of it. This is this is the type of life-producing story that comes all throughout the scriptures. The prophetic testimony, the Spirit of God hovering over nothing and creating everything. Abraham was a people out of no people, starting a new religion with a free God not tied to some local king or dictator. The barren wombs of Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel who conceived life, children that bore whole civilizations and societies. The Mosaic community ruled by God burning in an everlasting fire and a cloud of smoke with no king to tell them what to do. And the prophets calling people out of their exile their pain and their suffering into new life with new imagination and new hope. I want to ask you a question. We're getting to the end. I'm sorry for those of you, but hey, it's Easter. You can, you can take one long sermon for the year. I do hope you come back. Aren't you startled 
when something you thought was dead comes back to life? A plant? A relationship? A dream? What if that nagging feeling that feels kind of like eternity, that feels kind of like hope, that feels kind of like resurrection, is real? What if it's real? I dare you for just a moment to believe it, that it's real, right now, in your mind. Just, it doesn't mean you're a Christian. You don't have to say, oh, I'm not going to do it. He's trying to trick me to become a Christian. Just, I just want you to try to believe that Jesus raised from the dead, that resurrection is real, that good will overcome evil, that death will be swallowed up, that children will get a new life, that war will be over because resurrection is real. I dare you to just try to believe it just for a moment, just for right now. Don't look away from it. Don't try to explain it away. Just let it sit deep in your heart just for one more moment. When this happened to Paul, he said this in verse 24. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father and has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. What does this all mean? It means that those who have hope don't have to do it out of naivete. It means that if this is true, that life will conquer death. That faith can hinge on the ultimate realities of love, justice, of care, of intentionality and purpose for everyone on this earth. It means the end of death and the beginning of life. It means we can believe in the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. And I'm sorry, but if you weren't, you might be a Christian now.